My daily stand-ups are boring, long, stupid, useless. That's a big flag to me. Something's definitely wrong. The stand-up should be a time of day that people get something valuable done and then get back to work. If it's any of those other adjectives, you've got a problem. Welcome, everyone, to another DevCast. I'm your host, Adam D'Angelo, and I would like to introduce my co-host, John Janik. John, how are you? Uh, it's summer, and it's uh, 2021, I think. So what's happening? Where are we? Is it post-COVID yet? Are we out of the pandemic? Well, uh, I'm vaccinated, but I am still working in my freezing cold basement, even though it's 90 degrees out. Um, so I think a lot's changed, but not a lot has changed at the same time. That's right. You know, so it's funny you mentioned that, right? Because it's almost like you're back in the computing center, right? So you've got a data center in your home. Is it really that cold down there? Yeah, it's pretty cold. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, when I go upstairs to, you know, refill my water, I have to take it off. Otherwise, I melt. So it's it's a strange situation. But you did, you know, you, you raise a good point. It really is helping the performance of my, my uh, workstation down here. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, so I hear we've got somebody special joining us today, right? Yeah, we, we, we absolutely do. We have invited Joyce Carr Schwab to our program. Joyce is one of Dev Technologies um, kind of agile evangelists. Not only has she been a practitioner for years, she's also supported quite a few of our teams, coaching them along and espousing the, the, the joys and wonders of agile to everyone who will listen. Joyce, welcome to our program today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's really awesome to be here. Um, and you're right, I have been an Agile practitioner for quite some time and worked with many of our teams. And uh, most recently, both Adam and I actually uh, did sort of an Agile 101 for our back office teams, our corporate teams, uh, to try to help them find pain points that lean approaches might be able to assist. And we're getting ready to do sort of phase two, uh, where we're going to meet with those teams more individually because of course you know accounting may have different issues than marketing or hr or business development and see if there's ways we might be able to help them out um so that'll be a, a really awesome experiment I, I think adam and i both spoke about this and said you know business is only as agile as its least agile link and so we're trying to help everybody find ways to pivot faster be more flexible and reduce all of that waste that Agile always talks about. So I'm really excited to be on DevCast and join John and Adam. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. And we understand that you're going to be leading the charge and doing a few Agile-related DevCasts over the next couple of months. Uh, have you already started curating topics? Do you know what you want to share with the audience first? Or is it you know, still top secret at this point? I wouldn't go so far as to say top secret. That's probably a little extreme. Um, <laughs> some of it is still in the works, but one of the things that has crossed my mind is sort of explaining or exploring, I guess, um, of the various frameworks people use when they have an agile approach, when and why are certain approaches or frameworks better? Um, what kinds of situations uh, projects would work better in certain circumstances um, so that you're picking the right tool out of your toolbox 
and and maybe doing a little compare contrast because I think John and I were speaking about this once and he said, you know, what tends to happen is, is folks get trained on something and that's what they, that's the row they hoe, they stick with it. Um, so once you're safe certified or you know, scrum certified or Kanban certified, that tends to be what you do. And um, there isn't a lot of cross pollination or examination of, of how those work together or differences. And I, I think that could be a good place to start because with a lot of our projects, we find people do have to get creative and get hybrid to be successful. Well, I love that topic. I think that would that would be a lot of fun to uh, to listen to and participate in. Uh, I, I know that's you know something that when I've worked with our agile teams in the past, um, you know sometimes I'm just amazed at the reasons behind oh why they are using a certain way to uh, to do something, whether it's you know estimating story points for example, um, and you know the response is oh this is just how we've always done it right. So I think introducing new tools and talking about some of the pros and cons would be uh, a huge benefit to uh, a lot of our teams, Joyce. Great. I'm glad to hear that that'll be helpful because I, I actually do um, maybe hope that we could get some guest speakers from some of our teams um, that have been working for a while in these ways and have them contribute what works well, what doesn't um, to support our customers. Um, because we do a lot of sharing across projects within our company and uh, those lessons learned are always the most important, I think what you take away and what you can bring to another project really does help you be more effective later. Yeah, Joyce, I, you know, one of the things that I was fascinated by when we first started having this conversation was this idea that, you know, this is something Adam and I, and you and I have talked about, and I think it's just generally talked about a lot in the community, but there's a gap between talk and practice in this particular, and that's this idea that it's a journey. And I think we sometimes misunderstand that a journey is going to look different for different folks at different stages at different points. Right. So it, you know, like we talked, like you mentioned, right. Sometimes you get into this position where somebody who has a particular framework or a particular approach that they think is really critical to success has a hard time understanding that everybody's experience in that is going to be different. Uh, and so where we've seen the most success is when you are agile in how you talk about and how you implement and how you execute agile. And that is what really truly brings success, being able to facilitate and bring together useful encounters for people to generate that value. And I think sometimes we forget about that, right? Which is, which is what is... What is the whole tenant structure that brought the folks who created Agile together? It wasn't, hey, we want a new framework to do our work. It was, it was those core principles and values that drove the interaction, right? Right. No, absolutely. And, and I think that's where especially some of our um, less experienced folks can get hung up because they may get a quick training Sometimes they don't even get, say, full scrum training. They may get sort of a couple hours of, here's how we do scrum at dev. And then they may get certified in scrum later when we run another you know, full training and get a full class worth of people. But in the interim, they're kind of going through the motions, doing the ceremonies, uh, but the why 
it hasn't, they don't really know, they don't understand. And I think you're right, John, that one of the big things is maximizing value, maximizing flow. And sometimes we end up with teams that have put practices in place that work against that. And, and that was actually the subject of the tech all call last week that um, John invited me to do is kind of a lightning chat on uh, agile anti-patterns and how they crop up. And I really do think they crop up out of the best of intentions. You know, I, I sort of think what happens is you get a team that identifies an issue and maybe a retrospective or a pain point in a discussion, and they come up with a workaround. And unfortunately, that workaround keeps getting encoded, and it really complicates the process, um, but doesn't address the root cause um, and doesn't restore the flow of value and doesn't restore the flow of work. And so what happens is accommodating this anti-pattern actually is counterproductive in the end and adds complexities that don't need to be there. Um, and we, we talked about some of them um, last week. I, I think we, we brought up the one that probably got the most chuckles was the lame daily standup um, because that's one of the things I do hear people complain about is my daily standups are boring, long, stupid, you know, useless. And that's a big flag to me. It's something's definitely wrong. Um, the standup should be a time of day that people get something valuable done and then get back to work. If it's any of those other adjectives, you've got a problem. And we talked a little bit about some possible solutions to reinvigorate a standup and, and get it back on track. And one of the big things I reminded everybody of was that with the latest Scrum Guide, you know, we don't have to remember those three big questions of the, what did you do yesterday? What are you doing today? And do you have any impediments? You know, the format can be whatever works for the team. And the goal is conversation, not a status report. So with that in mind, make your daily, own your daily standup. Make it what you need to get work done. Um, and in these days when we have so many Teams calls and Zoom calls, one more long call is not what people need. Make it quick, get it done, and get back to work. Make appointments for the meetings you need to have. Choose carefully who needs to be there, those sorts of things. That's what you're supposed to do. Sort out your work. That's it. So, Adam, what's your experience when people have those lame daily stand-ups and how to revive them? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Joyce, because I think if you're in that position where <laughs> your your daily stand-up stand-ups have become kind of the lame duck session of the day, uh, you you're you're in dire need of rebooting them. I, I love the idea of keeping an active timer in the room, giving everybody less, you know, a minute or less to say their piece. You know, I, I, th I think a strong scrum master is really required to get those standups back towards um, getting the team to work towards the sprint goals, getting everybody on the same page and ensuring that you are opening lines and channels of communication while not spending time solving, you know, intricate and detail oriented, you know, technical problems in the room. I think, you know, sometimes scrum masters might feel like they're stepping out of their lane um, when they're telling technical folks to stop solving problems that are important to the team right in the middle of the room. But I, I you know, I, I think that in many cases, that's exactly what needs to happen there. No, that's a really good point. And I, I do remember a, a very effective scrum master who did exactly that. He kept his phone 
I think we each had 90 seconds. And when that thing went off, you better be done because it was going to the next person. And people definitely respected that convention. You know, that's, that's the sort of thing you need. I, I think another thing that can be really helpful is um, rotating who is the one who kicks off the standup because if you've got the kind of standup that has turned into a status report where you've got people talking only to the scrum master, but not to each other, I think it can help if the team members alternate who, who's sort of the leader and the keeper of the timer or whatever other convention they have so that um, more voices get used to being heard and you get out of that pattern of, well, I'm just going to tell the scrum master because, well, they must be the leader and in charge. I'm going to tell them what I did rather than I'm going to talk to the other people impacted by what is going on, which is my teammates. You also brought up another great point, which is the sprint goal. I think a lot of teams, when they go into the icky daily standup, some of the problem is they start to view their work as just working tickets and not really working towards an end goal for that sprint. And if everybody sees that the pieces they're working on aren't just widgets, but their contributions towards an end goal that they've all agreed to, I, I think that can really uh, reboot the motivation that you need to, to get those ceremonies back on track. Let me ask you a question, Joyce, because I, I've had a few folks from across our company reach out to me saying, hey, have you tried any asynchronous daily stand-up tools? Um, and whether that's using Slack or Teams or any number of other options out there, I've definitely been hearing a lot of folks uh, and a lot of teams are interested in trying to do this asynchronously these days. You know, especially during the heart of COVID when people were balancing, you know, their their team commitments with picking up or dropping off kids and any of the other millions of things that happen when you're working at home full time with the rest of your with your household unit. Um, what's your experience, Joyce, with some of these asynchronous stand up techniques? Uh, do they work? Don't they work? Is it worth experimenting with further? I think it could be a great experiment, but I can't. I think it shouldn't be a substitute. So. I think it's one of those things you have to really bring to the team and, and the team has to want it for the right reason. If they want it just so they don't have to talk to people, you probably have a deeper problem that you should deal with in a different way. But when we think about it, even before the pandemic, there were international teams that might have worked together that somehow had to synchronize asynchronously. They had to share their information and they probably had approaches just like that. So I think if you had something that was set up that allowed people to share that information, I think the fact that it's recorded in historical for historical reference can be very useful. You know, if somebody wanted to go back and see like, okay, what was that that we discussed last week? I need to get with that person again, whatever. It could be really helpful. However, you don't want to just codify a bad behavior. So that can be... You know, if it's if the issue is you're getting into too much detail, well, is that going to solve the problem? If the issue is that it's too long, is that going to solve the problem? So maybe what you need instead is is something that allows teams to re readdress their working agreements and figure out, okay, here's a new way to do this. What's going to be our convention? Do we all have to report by say 10 a.m. local time? What kinds of detail do we need to report? 
what details should go in a separate thread. It's not daily stand-up, but is really more about the work I'm doing and the people that I really need to coordinate with on it, you know, so that I'm not drowning detail in the daily stand-up that shouldn't be there. So those are the sorts of things that I think would really need to be examined closely before a team takes a step on that. I've even heard of um, like using robots to do it sort of that if you don't answer the right questions, the team has decided are important, you get prompted, you know, like the Slack bot or someone would come in and say, so what did you work on yesterday? Or what are your plans? Whatever. Do you have impediments today? You know, whatever are the key questions they think uh, the team thinks are important. And I think that could be great, but you just don't want to miss the conversation. So whenever I, I see this suggested to scrum masters, there's kind of this cringe moment where they're like, yeah, but is it just going to cut down on the valuable conversation we need and replace it with communication that nobody reads? That's what you got to balance. A long answer to a short question. So I'm sorry about that one, but I, I think it is a complicated one. It may be more valuable to figure out if there are ways to deal with making things other than the daily stand-up asynchronous because I think those offline meet, the meetings that end up being offline from the stand-up could often be handled in an asynchronous way. And they may be even more valuable to have details recorded. You know, For example, if you're working on an architecture with someone or a database structure or something where you've got a lot of details, it might be helpful to have people noodle on the problem separately and exchange ideas on Confluence or, what, or Teams or Slack, and then have the final solution sort of posted for people to, to refer back to. I don't know. What do you guys think? I have this catchphrase, right? Joyce, you've heard me use it before. The, you know, the time you spend together is the most valuable time you have. Don't spend it doing things you should be doing apart, right? And I think that when you think about it, so it's interesting when you put it in that context, I almost kind of want to say, hey, maybe, maybe what you need to do is, uh, is score your meetings, right? What is the value generated out of this discussion? And then use that as your, as your guidepost for what meetings should be highly collaborative right. uh, co-design sessions. Because I, I would actually even suggest in some cases, your architecture discussions generate more value out of being collaborative. Because if you miss something during an architecture discussion, then the impact can have uh, significant ramifications down the road. Whereas a daily standup, maybe, maybe, different values, right? So, so in different teams, different projects are going to have different perspectives on this. If you are in, a, if you are mostly in sustainment, if you're mostly in a in a product that's well established, then it's going to mean a whole lot more to have those daily standups where you're able to talk about what are the operational issues you're facing. How are you continuing to move the needle on this product and how are you continuing to evolve what you're doing? Whereas if you're in a more uh, startup mode, uh, standing things up, getting things out the door, creating new code or creating new features, it becomes a lot more important to make sure you have the right architecture, the right pipeline components, the right uh, pieces that, that require a lot more planning as opposed to a lot more uh, reactionary sustainment components. So I, you know, it's, I think there's, a life cycle component to that. I think there's a, what are you doing question 
related to that. I think there's even team composition. You know, if, if your team is very clearly, you've got a very senior person who is your architect kind of leading out a lot of these conversations and then a lot of, a lot of more junior talent that's learning and, and building knowledge and expertise. That's very different than if you have a, a fully realized high-performing team of senior developers collaborating on a very hard problem, right? So, so this gets back to the whole conversation around agile as a journey and what works well in one context may not work as well in another context. Uh, so you really do have to think about what are those characteristics that create the environment uh, and, and how do you respond to that? I, I don't know. Adam, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, you know, John, this is something you and I have spoken about at length before, and and I think you and I agree wholeheartedly that you know when we get together as a team, it, it's best to do those things that can't be done particularly well uh, remotely, right? So getting to a whiteboard and sharing ideas together, um, the the back and forth collaboration that I think happens a little bit easier in person, right? So I, I definitely think there are times where that synchronous, that in-person communication and collaboration, I'm not, I'm not saying it can't or, or won't ever be replaced by you know, digital tools, but I, I haven't used any that can replace all of the, the in-person interactions that I've you know, come to love over the years. So yeah, you know, you know Joyce, I think it, it, like one of your earlier points, I think the answer is it depends, right? It depends on the team, like John pointed out. It depends on the the specific problem, but um, there are a lot of lot of things that um, can be solved asynchronously. And I think we've done a great job of that over over the last year, right? You know, I know as a company, we've we've really embraced some of the, the communication and collaboration tools um, that have helped our teams not only to continue to deliver at a high level, but Honestly, from the feedback we've gotten from quite a few of our customers to actually do a better job uh, of delivering uh, in a timely fashion. So, you know, I, I don't think being remote or working asynchronously is necessarily an impediment in and of itself. But um, there are definitely some times where getting together, you know, solving a problem at a whiteboard or doing some team building over a, over, over a lunch or a cold beer you know, can, goes a lot further than than a, a comparable interaction in front of your computer by yourself. Yeah, I think that's the one thing a lot of people are working really hard to improve is, okay, so we, you know, my company maybe has sorted out how to get video conferencing working really well. We've got plenty of bandwidth for everybody, made sure everybody's got cameras and mics and all that kind of stuff. So we, we've got the table stakes in place, but you've lost some richness to your interactions. And how do you get that back? And um, I, I think a lot of it is those meetings that you end up holding as video tend to fall back into kind of old structures where one person has the floor at a time, which isn't as collaborative as you know, agile principles and, and frankly, for just getting the work done can be. So how do we fix that? And, um, 
it's not necessarily new, but something I, I learned in some recent training I took was uh, to start using techniques called liberating structures uh, because they sort of destabilize that dynamic between the speaker and the spoken to and create things like I think one that I was looking at recently was called one, two, three, four, all. And so if you're trying to solve a problem or come up with ideas, you first give like, I think it was a minute, or two minutes for each individual to write down a few ideas. Then you do pairs, then you do fours, then you bring the whole group together. And it was a different way of working than if you had just a general free for all brainstorm. And because of that, the group dynamics are different. And I think many of us have gotten experienced enough and have sophisticated enough tools now, we could reproduce that even though we don't have a physical room and try things like that to spice up the meeting. So they're not just, okay, stare at your camera or don't even turn it on and listen to someone talk to you, um, but to really increase participation and by increasing participation, really get that team spirit going because I don't, I don't, I've lost count of how many people we've hired that have not ever met another dev human being in person. They were hired remotely. They were onboarded remotely. They've been working remotely. So they really have never met their, their teams in person or their corporate back office support people in person. And, and that, I can't imagine that that's gotta be really tough. Because uh, then you're not transitioning to a virtual environment. You're you're totally working in a virtual environment from start to finish, which is a fabulous thing to think about uh, as an opportunity, but also really challenging. Because when you hit a rough patch, I know I always relied on a face-to-face -face interaction to get through it, whether it was a tough problem to solve or a personal dynamic I wanted to sort out, or two people on a team that weren't getting along and and not seeing eye to eye, whether technically or interpersonally, just needed to kind of see each other as human beings before they saw each other as having different ideas. You know, face to face, really, there wasn't a substitute. And now we're having to come up with different, right, different ways um, to do that. I, I think it can be all achieved uh, virtually, but I do think that we have to be more conscious and deliberate, which means it's extra work our creativity is going to be tapped to do that, uh, whether we're people managers or scrum leaders or, or even just a, a more senior person on a team that's helping to mentor someone. And that comes with the territory. I do hear, though, that a lot of people have benefited from the flexibility of working from home. So I do think it's here to stay. And as we go back to the office, there's probably going to be more hybrid solutions where we won't have the density of people in, in the office at the same time for a while. I can tell you from someone who had worked remotely when everybody was in the office, it's really hard to be the one person remote because it's hard to get a word in. It's hard to see, quote unquote, what's on the whiteboard or what's being developed on the paper that everybody's looking at. So I, I think we're all going to have to be working with virtual tools for a long time uh, to be inclusive. And, and I think that's going to start with our federal customers. You know, I think the government's going to start that way too. Hybrid workplace as much as possible. And then I think the rest of us will as, as well. So these are definitely challenges that all teams will be facing as well as you know, the agile development teams we personally work with. 
So yeah, those are, those are really, I think Adam's right. It's always an it's depends, but there's usually a way to find a solution that answers the male from a people perspective, as well as from an agile, how do we get good work done for our customer perspective? And I think that's a great, great place for us to end it today, Joyce. I know I'm really excited to to listen in on your multi-part series about doing agile in the federal space here. Uh, I know your experience has been extensive and you have a lot of great anecdotes and tips to share with us. So, um, so to our listening audience, tune back in. Um, you're going to hear a lot more from Joyce over the next few weeks and months. And Joyce, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm really excited about the series and, and about being a part of DevCast. I really appreciate the invitation and look forward to having you guys sharing the mic with me some in the future so that we can have some great conversations. Thank you. Absolutely. John, any parting words of advice or wisdom for our listeners? I think Joyce hit it on the head. I think especially if you're a government listener or even somebody on one of our contracts that works with us on a daily basis, there's going to be something in it for you in these conversations. You've heard a lot of things that Joyce has talked about, everything from team dynamics to org structure to new ways to break up the, the old way of doing things, uh, those liberating structures she was talking about. And, and the under underlying discussion here is really that agile is about how we work as people, right? And how we work as groups of people. And so I'm excited for this because I think that Joyce is going to bring a lot of uh, insight and enthusiasm and energy that you're, you're just not going to, we don't have a lot of conversations around what does agile mean in government. And I think it is so important to have that conversation because there are good examples across the government where we've seen it used effectively. There are great conversations to be had uh, and there's a place where we can start those things and it can start here on DevCast. So I hope you're listening. I hope you're as excited about it as I am. And I hope you're ready for that journey with Joyce because I think it's gonna be fantastic. Thanks, Adam. All right. Thanks, John. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another DevCast. We will catch you next time.